He's got connections. From actors and athletes to comedians and world-class musicians. Andy Hall. His contact list is jam-packed with some of the most recognizable names in entertainment. Andy Hall's giving Laser Hellraisers his plus one. An exclusive conversation you won't hear anywhere else. On today's edition of Hall Access. Legendary, expert, prodigy, maestro, genius. Any number of words have been used to describe the guitar playing of Steve Vai. Proud to welcome him via the Laser Hotline. Hi, Andy. How are you today, sir? I'm doing great. Awesome. How are you? I'm wonderful. You know, uh, things are still... uh, Pretty nice here in the upper Midwest. We're uh, we're waiting for that shoe to drop, though. It is that time of year. <laughs> right, right. Start to feel the snap in the air. Yeah, the snap, yes. That would be a good way to put it. If you uh, yeah. if you allow yourself to be uh, out in the elements long enough, uh, things do start snapping. That's for sure. <laughs> they start whipping. Exactly. As always, we're honored to have you on these airwaves, man. Thanks for your time. Thank you. The legendary Steve Vai back in Des Moines, November 22nd at the historical Hoyt Sherman Place, which is the venue we last saw you in 2018 on the Generation Axe Tour. And I had to look that up because my first thought was, no way has it been four years. It's crazy how we look back at life as it was pre-pandemic and how time marches so differently now. Do you feel that way, too? Yeah, absolutely. It's sort of like... Uh, a paradigm shift in the temporal time, uh, you know, the linearness of time. Uh, But um, what's interesting is I find that a lot of people uh, found things to do during the lockdowns, you know, and of course it was a challenging time for many. Um, For me, it was, uh, I actually used it the best I could, you know, we were very safe and, you know, at home and, I was able to start to get into some creative things that uh, I actually didn't have time for before. And that that's how this new record kind of emerged. I guess you'd call it a, uh, a lockdown baby. <laughs> uh, there you go. Yeah. It's good to know that there's still some of that going on when your mind is obviously being stretched in so many directions. I mean, the, the, the uncertainty of the time, first of all, and not knowing what the end point looks like is uh, kind of a scary thing for a lot of us, but for artists in particular, because we just don't know. Are we going to ever be able to get back to that communal rhythm as a fan, you know, and get together in a room together and enjoy live music, for example? Yeah, I mean, I think those kinds of thoughts uh, are there you know, in the collective. I don't believe that it's the way most people were feeling. I think uh, probably the majority of people were feeling like, okay, this is happening and uh, we're going to get through it somehow, you know, and uh, what is it going to look like when it comes out the other end? We don't know. But, you know, creative people, entertainers, uh, things like, you know, people in the service field, you know, we had to make some changes. I know in the musician community, musicians are very resilient. It, it's very rare that if you are if you feel born a musician, uh, that the lockdown uh, changed your whole vocation. You know, I noticed all the my musician friends started to discover new ways to communicate, to record. You know, start sending files around. Uh, musicians started posting more things for the fans and uh, it gave people a time to look into their own creative nature in a, in a different way, you know? So that, that was also happening. And for a lot of people that was happening predominantly as opposed to the fear of what's going to happen, you know? So 
I think that's sort of the, our human nature to be creative and to continue that under all circumstances. You've been all over the place in the past month or so. I've had a blast following your adventures on social media in places like Finland and Rio. It's funny, I have a love-hate relationship with social media in general, but one thing I do enjoy, Steve, is having access to the people, places, and events that you're kind enough to share along the way, something that even 20, 25 years ago was unimaginable. Do you enjoy that aspect of the gig, that two-way channel of communication that's now there when you want it to be? I do. I, I enjoy it very much. I, I love seeing, you know, from someone like me, I pick up my phone and I take a look at it in the Instagram feed and I see where my friends are and what they're doing. And so many of them are posting little snippets of crazy, amazing uh, playing, you know, and this is inspirational. And uh, yeah, I, I look at it and I try to see how does this serve me? You know, and how can I serve it? And it works out great. Do you spend a lot of time on YouTube ever uh, exploring folks that are trying to take on some of uh, some of your material? <laughs> Occasionally, somebody will send me a, a link to uh, somebody playing one of my songs, and I always find it uh, touching. Yeah, I imagine, you know, as they say, uh, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. But if they completely yeah. if they completely bust it, I can't only I can only imagine how that feels as the uh, author. <laughs> You know? <laughs> well, I see really great players. As long as they don't play better than me, I'm okay. There you go. <laughs> a lot of times I'm not okay, though, because <laughs> I'm, I'm joking, of that, course. That is funny. It's phenomenal to see the movement of uh, guitar lovers and what they're doing to the instrument. No doubt. He is one of the greatest of all time to play the guitar. Steve Vai on the Inviolate Tour this fall, rolling into Hoyt Sherman Place November 22nd, and we cannot wait to see it. Some really interesting stories that I've heard you talk about and that I've read about in interviews that you've done. For a guy that prides himself on continually pushing creative boundaries and discovering what's possible, did this album achieve that and then some on a personal level? Absolutely. I was kind of stunned some of the stuff that I had done for this record. Um, You know, they're my little secrets, so to speak, but that's what it's about. It's about expanding your creative intentions. And on this record, for instance, there's a song called Candle Power that has some pretty pickled finger gymnastics, you know, and uh, I wouldn't have been able to achieve that if I didn't, you know, sit and focus and, and think, what can I do here that, you know, expands my own bar. And then there was a song I had in the middle of making the record, I had to get a shoulder surgery. So I, I couldn't use my right arm for a couple of weeks. And uh, I, I wrote and recorded and videotaped a song with playing it with one hand. It's called Knapsack. You can see it online. It's, it's pretty interesting. And, and that was, um, you know, something that I, I never really thought of before. You know, based on the situation you're in, you make the you make lemonade out of lemons the best you can. And then there's a song on there called "Teeth of the Hydra," where I perform it on this exotic-looking triple-neck beastly guitar, <laughs> and it's fascinating to watch. I made a video of that, and you can see that it's called "Teeth of the Hydra." It's pretty fascinating, and um, yeah, so those just those three pieces alone were things I never thought I'd conceive of doing before I made the record. I got to ask, are we going to see the Hydra on this tour? Well, I'm working on it right now. You know, I I believe so. I'm doing my best and it's coming along very nicely. It's when I, two days after I had 
filmed the video, I, I had to actually get another shoulder surgery. So I had to push the American leg of the tour to this fall. But we went to Europe. But I, I wasn't in any condition to play the Hydra. But when I got home, I started, you know, taming it and coming along. Even the idea of this instrument is bananas. And considering its versatility, I can't imagine its usage on this album was a one-off. You'll continue to incorporate it into future recordings, I'm guessing. Well, I certainly hope so. You know, you have to wait for the inspiration for something. And oddly enough, about a month ago, I, I had a visual of another approach to the instrument, another piece of music. When I get, you know, whenever, if I get to do it or not is another question because it's, it's a tremendous amount of time and I'll just be on tour now for the rest of this year and all of next year. Now that your healing process is that much further along, was there much retraining of your muscle memory in terms of learning some of the new material for the shows you've played once uh, or since the album came out, I should say? Well, uh, sort of, you know, because with a surgery, uh, you find yourself using muscles, you compensate, and you really shouldn't use them because then the other muscles sort of get weakened. So when I started to strum fast, I noticed I had lost, I lost all the technique. You know, it was I just couldn't do it. But as I healed more and more, you know, you train the muscles that need the work. And then um, the thing that I had to compensate for was when I finally hit the stage uh, after uh, you said four years. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and um, my you don't realize the automatic movements that you make. Uh, but for myself, before and after something like a shoulder surgery. So when I hit the deck for the first time in Glasgow and I started kind of performing the way I normally perform, I realized I have to retrain my whole brain because I'm hurting myself more. You know? So it worked to my benefit because what I discovered was I, I couldn't move around so much. So I had to give more. I was able to give more attention to actually what I'm playing, you know, as opposed to I got to be over there right now, or I got to be over there, you know. Sure. And uh, you know, this was helpful. It changes your performance, but you can actually get deeper into the note, and that that translates stronger. Another recent development, and I've got this on my watch list for the very near future. The new documentary, Steve Vai, His First 30 Years, is now available in its entirety online. I know you lived it all, but assuming you've had the opportunity to watch it all back, what were some of the emotions that ran through you as you see all of this amazing history relayed back to you in the way that they did it? Well, the first thing that I was stunned over was uh, the producer, Alan Berry, how much research he did to get to the bottom of, you know, little stories and things like that. I mean, he really uh, did an amazing job unearthing things that I didn't think anybody would care about or know about. But they turned out very uh, they're fun, fun to watch, you know, funny stories of my youth and whatnot. But it was, it's, it's nice to feel that there's a document out there for those that are interested. Uh, and it's entertaining, you know, it transcends whether you like guitar or not even, you know? So it was, it was really, it's charming. And it's nice that I didn't have to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> 
And yeah. Alan was kind enough to show it to me beforehand, and I, I helped him with a couple of facts and, and pronunciations and things like that. One part of your incredible career that I find to be among the most intriguing was your time with the late, great Frank Zappa. I mean, talk about a guy who's, I mean, completely unconventional. Uh, speaking of, like, you know, stretching the boundaries of creativity. Frank Zappa is one of the most unique artists there ever has been. And you had a a unique opportunity to play with him very early on. Yeah. Yeah. I was 18 when I started to work for him transcribing music and I joined the band when I was 20. And if you think of your consciousness when you're 18 or 20, you know, I was naive, um, sort of innocent. I didn't, I'd never been on a real professional stage. And there I was playing uh, for Frank, you know, uh, some of the most complex music written. And uh, it was a little challenge. Well, very challenging and somewhat traumatic at times. Yeah. <laughs> but I learned so much, you know, when you're that young, you're very impressionable. And I was like a sponge. And Frank was a great mentor in that sense, because he was like an explosion of freedom. You know, Frank just marched to the beat of his own drum. He he never made excuses, and he never expected anybody to do it for him. And I just thought, well, that's the way you do it. You know, you, you have an idea that's compelling to you, and the moment you come up with it, an, an idea that you feel enthusiasm in, you hold on to it, and you just start doing it. You just start doing it, and what happens, that enthusiasm grows, and it turns into like a passion, you know? So I saw that with Frank, and that was very helpful for me through my whole career. That trial by fire, man, really kind of uh, tests your mettle, I can imagine. It does. (laughs) To this day, you continue to inspire countless thousands of guitarists around the world, always on the hunt for new creative avenues and ways to express yourself through your instrument. I think for the vast majority of artists that perform at an elite level, that sort of lifelong commitment is a fire that's always burning in you. What do you think? Well, I think that's the case with anybody that finds something that they're really interested in. And I believe that everybody has some creative outlet for something that they're doing in life where as they're doing it, they don't feel any fear. They don't feel any uh, pressure about the future or having to be successful or having to fit in. They really feel open to their own uh, impulses, their own creative impulses. And this is your purpose in a sense, you know, it's, it's to, it's to express your unique creativity. And when you get a taste of that, it's just so intoxicating. And it, it deepens, you know, it deepens. And whatever it is that you're giving your attention to, you're expanding it, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in a joyful way. And that's what I've looked for my whole life. I didn't realize it. It sounds like commitment and discipline, you know, but it's none of that. It's I just want to do this because this is exciting to me, you know, and that's really all it is. You know, I, I, people say, oh, you practice, you used to practice nine, 15 hours a day. You've got such great discipline. Well, yeah, there's some discipline involved, but really discipline sounds like you got to struggle, you know, you got to fight something. Whereas enthusiasm and passion is a, a much more powerful engine of creation. Yeah, that way you're not fighting to uh, be your authentic self either. And that I think authenticity exactly. is very important, right? I mean, 
very important, finding your authentic self and expressing it without any, without any excuses. It is always an honor to share the airwaves with you, Steve. We're looking forward to November 22nd, the show at Hoyt Sherman Place here in Des Moines. Always great to have you back in town. I'm glad we're all going to get together in a big room and, and watch you get up there and do your thing. Me too. I love coming there, and I can't wait to get on that stage for everybody that's there. Thanks so much.